grew up in that sort of a world <clears throat> where the Jewish people were, and I'm sure there were exceptions to it, but generally speaking, they weren't so much uh, being relational, talking to the God they knew personally, but rather being religious. And it's a great line. Jesus hates religion. He's not into it. He's into relationship. The Jewish people were very much into a performance, not a personal communication with the living God. To them it was a routine, set times, <clears throat> not a real heartfelt expression of what was going on in the circumstances of their life. As I said, I'm sure there were exceptions. And please don't misunderstand me. I do not mean to imply that learning uh, prayers prayers that you can recite is necessarily meaningless. That's not the case. You can recite prayers but the issue is from the heart. You can pray the Lord's Prayer routinely and you can pray the Lord's Prayer from the heart. And that's where Jesus' focus certainly is, that it's to be heartfelt, whether it's written and recited or whether it's uttered spontaneously. It's all about the heart, being connected with God. Ultimately, that's what prayer means. And in this passage, the Lord Jesus is talking about and correcting that which he had observed throughout all of his life. So he says, whenever you pray, don't be like the hypocrites, the play actors, the pretenders. For they love to stand in the, and pray in the synagogues and at the street corners, so that. There's nothing wrong with praying in synagogues or churches. nothing wrong with praying on street corners. nothing wrong with praying in Maccas or restaurants or other places. I told you before that a, a dear brother, senior pastor of the church up the road in CMA, Christian Missionary Alliance, Roger Lang, is that when we get together, he'll pray for me at loud, publicly. Very loud. Dear Lord, bless my brother. And I'm more conscious of all of the people in the restaurant around us than I am about what he's praying. He is, he's not performing, he's just unashamed. That's just Roger. He loves him. He, he loves me and he loves the Lord Jesus and so he's praying for me quite sincerely. That's not what's happening here. These guys love to stand on street corners and pray in synagogues so that people would notice them. I don't for a second think Roger's doing that. Surely I tell you they already have you know, what they're after. They have the reward. What do they want? To be noticed. Well, they got it, Jesus says. But when you pray, go into your room, shut the door, pray to your Father who is in secret, and your Father who sees in secret will respond. He'll reward you. When you're praying, don't heap up empty phrases like the Gentiles do, for they think that they'll be heard because of their many words. It's how often you pray, how long you pray. That's what's really, really important. You've got to bother God, as we heard this morning. Jesus says, don't be like them. Your father knows what you need before you ask him. How do you pray? Like this. And he gives us the Lord's Prayer. And in this passage, the Lord Jesus gives us, and that's what I'm going to talk about tonight, says three very simple things. He says, when you pray, pray secretly. When you pray, pray sincerely. And when you pray, pray specifically. They're the three points for tonight. Not five, Brendan, as you have accused me of, but three. I would like that to be clear. I don't normally name people, but I have tonight. 
And the passage says you have to forgive me, otherwise God won't listen to you. If you want to know something about anything, go and ask somebody who knows. You want to learn how to play golf? Go and ask somebody who knows how to play golf. I once was invited to play, when I came up here, to play with a PGA round with the professionals. And so three of us amateurs went around with a professional golfer. It was a great opportunity. And he was a remarkable golfer. He was half sloshed when he turned up at 7 o'clock in the morning. But he could still hit a golf ball. So I'm not talking about his life and his character, but he watched us. He knew how to play the game. He knew the skills and the techniques. He watched our swing. And after a while, not straight away, after about halfway through the round, he came to me and he said, do this. What you do is you tend to do this. Just keep your body straight and do that. makes an immediate difference. Somebody who knows the skills that are involved. If you want to know how to do something, ask somebody. You want to know about computers? Go to talk to somebody who knows about computers. And the easiest thing to do is simply go Apple. Go with a Mac and life is solved. You know about health issues, go talk to your doctor, go talk to nutritionists, go talk to your trainers or whatever. You know about your career path, whatever career path you're on, talk to those who are ahead. You want to know about anything, talk to those who know, talk to the experts. Well, if you know about prayer, listen to the Lord Jesus because he is the one who is the master of it. He practised it. Even to the point where in Luke chapter 11 his disciples overheard him praying one day and their response was, Lord, can you teach us to pray? like you do they were brought up to pray they prayed the Shema, they prayed the Shemunoff those 18 prayers a day and that wasn't cutting it, when they heard him pray they went wow, can you teach us to pray and he does, like in the passage that we have just read and he says to us, number one, pray in secret, now the Lord Jesus in this passage is not talking about public prayer, he's not talking about other contexts of prayer, he's talking specifically about us praying individually, personally. Pray in secret. Is there anything wrong, as I said before, with praying on street corners, public places? No, nothing wrong at all. You can pray anywhere, you can pray at any time. We all know that. But it is wrong to pray in public deliberately to be seen, to perform. We shouldn't do it. We should always pray discreetly, sincerely. If other people see us doing what we are doing sincerely, well, so be it. But to do it so that other people will see us doing it doesn't cut it. We're just showing off and God is not impressed. Prayer is not a spectator sport. It's something rather that we engage in. So if we're going to follow, fulfil this instruction of the Lord Jesus, how are we going to pray in secret? How do you do that? Well, find a place. Find a place which is meaningful and significant for you. And it's going to be different for all of us. It could be a room. It could be your bedroom. It could be a place in your house. It could be a coffee shop. It could be a spot or a corner in your office or your workshop. It could be the front of your car or your truck or whatever it is. It's your spot. 
and that when you're in that spot, that's where you talk very openly and candidly with God. When you're in that secret place, that special place, you are apart from others and alone with God. That's the point. That's what you need. It could be a particular lounge chair in your house or wherever, a particular spot. Why should we pray in secret? Well, Jesus doesn't tell us, but here are three pretty good reasons. Number one, it'll minimise distractions. The evil one who was opposed to us praying will come up with all sorts of distractions for us and so to have a regular spot that we go to makes us familiar with that spot because any noise which is unfamiliar to us, be it a phone, be it a dog barking, be it the kids running through the house or whatever, can break your concentration and distract you. Even the tick-tock, tick-tock. There's not too much of that in our world because most of us have gone digital. Most of us have battery-operated clocks which are much quieter. But even the tick-tock of a clock can be distracting. We need to find a place where we can be focused, connect with God. There is a movie with a wife there is a movie that my wife loves called Runaway Bride. <clears throat> Seen the movie? Who is unfamiliar with the movie? Ooh! What a godly bunch you lot are. In this movie, Julie... What's her name? Julia Griffiths? Roberts. I've seen the movie, I just don't know the name. Anyway, she has uh, several times been to the altar and each time has run away, hence the title, Runaway Bride. And it all comes down to, as the movie unfolds, about her focusing, not only her heart being captured by the right individual, that's certainly part of it, but her focusing her eyes upon the person whom she's about to marry. And in the movie, the reason she ran away, I think three times beforehand, was because she was distracted. Her concentration was broken. That's a very lame illustration of this point. You need to find a place where you can focus, not be distracted, where it's familiar for you. Pray and seek it. Minimise distractions. Another reason? It'll maximise association. You'll become familiar with this place, in this chair, in this location, in this room, in this part of my office, when I'm in my car, wherever it is, This is where I commune and meet with God. A couple of months ago I was in Narendra visiting my dad and I went to, drove, took him to Wagga one day and I deliberately went to the Botanical Gardens in Wagga, run, owned by the Wagga City Council and I went to a particular gum tree and I took a photo of it. Have a guess why I took a photo of that gum tree in the Botanical Gardens in Wagga. Because it was at that gum tree in 1974 on November 18th at 11pm at night where I proposed to my wife. Oh. So I took photos of it. That's a special spot. That's what I told Rhonda. That's the gum tree. The actual gum tree may very well have been cut down years ago but as far as I'm concerned that's the gum tree. <laughs> special spot. I can remember going out standing on my back patio area and looking up at the stars in the country in Narendra 
and seeing a very clear sky, country air is much clearer than city air, and admiring the stars and being amazed, praying to God and remembering that, and he made the stars also. I still remember that. I still experience that. It's a special spot for me. Undoubtedly you have them too. You'll maximise your association with your encounters with God. That's the point. Jesus had them. Couples go to particular restaurants each year to remember their anniversaries or families go to particular spots for holidays. I know a principal of a theological seminary who goes to Hawaii every year for two weeks, goes to the same apartment, same hotel, same apartment for two weeks every year because he finds that familiar and very refreshing because I would think also there he encounters God in a very special way. Find a secret spot. Minimise distractions, maximise association and it will be build for you a sense of expectation that this is where I talk with God, this is where I listen to God, this is where God talks to me and he listens to me. Great stuff happens here. So, first point, the Lord Jesus, the expert in prayer, says to us, pray in secret. Find a particular location. Can you do that? <clears throat> Is it in your home? Is it at work? Somewhere. Can you do it? Will you do it? Will you do it? Jesus, the expert in prayer, says that's what we need to do. Secondly, he says we are to pray sincerely, out of the heart. We're to mean the words that we say. We're not just to say words and say prayers. We're actually to say what we mean say what we're feeling it gets down to thinking and to motives it's not simply going through the routine so you can tick the box and say yes I prayed today or is it praying I prayed for so long today wrong questions wrong issues the Lord Jesus is certainly talking about us praying in private he's not teaching about public prayer that has another dimension to it but he does say that when we pray sincerely when we are praying and speaking to God personally we are to be careful about babbling on you've been in prayer meetings as I have and you've heard other people pray and you shouldn't judge other people's prayers should you but we do don't we some people scrape the ceiling I think but they're not talking to me they're talking to God So Jesus says to us to not simply use meaningless expressions but rather meaningful terms. Be real. So avoid cliches that don't come from the heart. Don't go on autopilot. Don't use meaningless repetition, sanctified jargon, clever phrases or careless words. I'd like a dollar for every time over the last 10 years that I've been at Sunnybank, the last 30 years that I've been a pastor, that I have heard a brother or a sister pray at the Lord's table, Heavenly Father, thank you for dying on the cross for me. He didn't. Jesus did. So what happens at that point? Well, I think our Heavenly Father 
listens to the heart. I think he gets it. I don't think he is as judgmental as I am. If you want a theological justification for that miss whatever prayer, that God was in Christ, God the Father was in Christ, reconciling the world to himself. So there is some mysterious sense in which God the Father and God the Spirit is with Jesus in the process even of Jesus dying. It's rather difficult, isn't it, for us to grasp. Well, what I'm saying is be conscious of the words that you are using and pray sincerely, pray deliberately. Which brings up a whole issue for me about grace before meals. That's one of the most common things we can go on autopilot. What's the rule with grace? You say grace at breakfast? Yep. Say grace at lunch? Usual. Grace at dinner? Yep. What about morning tea? No. Afternoon tea? Someone offers you a lolly or a chocolate. Where's the boundary? Where's the line? See, there is no rule. There is no guideline do with a heart, being thankful. It's not a religious routine that we go through that we have to say grace before a meal. It's because we ought and we should and we want to. What if you ate a meal and you didn't give thanks to God? What would happen? Try it and see. The Bible actually says that everything that is created by God is good and is to be received because it is sanctified by prayer with thanksgiving. It is sanctified. Something happens when we actually pray over it. So be careful of all of those things, cliches and meaningless expressions and so on and trying to be smart theologically or whatever, um, but be real. The best prayers I have ever heard and the best prayers I have ever prayed is when it's not fancy, it's just honest, it's just real. That's the best way to pray. That's what Jesus said. Be sincere. Think what you're going to say and express it honestly. You're talking to a loving person, a loving Heavenly Father. There's no need to pile up very fancy impressions. When I talk to Rhonda, and express my love for her. When my kids speak to me and they tell me that they love me, I don't want to hear, you know, oh, Father, thou greatest of all fathers. It would be appropriate, but it's not. I'm very happy to hear them say, love your dad, or love your pops, as my son calls me. What impresses God is sincerity. In fact, in John chapter 1, verse 47, there's a story of a guy by the name of Nathaniel who's under a, a tree having his own quiet time. And two guys had come to see Jesus during the day and spent a day with him, and a couple of days, and then gone off to find him, Simon and... Um, no, not Simon, Philip and Andrew. Gone off and found him. And Jesus' response is to say, Here is a man, Nathaniel, in whom there is no guile, here is a guy who is fed income. Here is a Jew who is sincere. God notices it. 
we're to be sincere. God doesn't want us simply mouthing words without our mind or our heart being engaged. In fact, John Bunyan said, rather let your heart be without words rather than your mouth without heart. It's a great line, isn't it? Let your heart be without words. Think it, feel it. Let your heart be without words rather than your mouth be without heart. It's a great line. We're to talk to him authentically, reverently, personally. Psalm 62 verse 8 says, Pour out your heart to him. So somebody else has taught this, but I love it. Let's talk to God about, Lord, this is how I feel today. This is what I'm thinking about. This is what's just happened and this is my response to it. I'm worried about I'm concerned about I would like this. I need this. Can you help me with this? Lord, what do you think about this? It's talking to God in a relationship in the context of your life. So the Lord Jesus, the Master in prayer, says to us, find a secret place where you can get alone so you can connect with God. Be sincere when you talk to him. And finally, he says, we should pray specifically to be as clear as possible. And he gave us the model, the Lord's Prayer. Why should we be specific? Well, for lots of practical reasons that he doesn't give us, but it, um, it'll help us to focus, it'll help us to concentrate. Rather than praying generally, Lord, bless the missionaries. Uh, pray specifically, call them by name. And pray specifically as they inform us of what their needs are. That'll decrease the habit we have or the tendency we have of wandering in prayer. Pray specifically. It'll also sharpen your faith. Do I really believe that God can do that? It'll help. Sharpen your faith. And if the answer is no, well then don't pray that. Ask for what you can believe and trust Him for. And it will certainly clarify the answers when they come. So in that pattern of prayer that we're familiar with, Acts, A-C-T-S, in adoration, be specific. Not just praise your Lord, but praise you for. Be specific. In confession, not just forgive me for all of my sins, but confess your sins. Be specific. Name them. R.A. Torrey used to say, you committed them one by one, you can confess them one by one. In thanks, be specific. Thank you, Lord, for these things or for doing this. And in supplication, in the requests that we have, be specific. It certainly requires effort, it requires concentration, but it's well worth it. The Bible is filled with specific illustrations. Matthew chapter 9, verse 38, the Lord Jesus says that we are to pray that the Lord of the harvest would raise up workers and send them out into the harvest. Romans 15:30, Paul says to pray for him as a missionary, to wrestle with him in prayer that God might open a door of ministry for him. Romans 10, we are to pray for lost loved ones. In Exodus 17, it's Moses on the mountain holding up his hands, praying for Joshua down in the valley below, praying specifically. 1 Kings 18, it's Elijah on Mount Carmel. God, send the rain. Send the fire, rather, for the sacrifice, and then send the rain, praying specifically. Acts 12, it's the church praying for Peter. (laughs) <laughs> which rather remarkably he, they, God answers that and they don't believe it but nonetheless they're being specific Genesis 18 Abraham praying for the cities of Sodom and Gomorrah 
often when people came to the Lord Jesus, lepers, blind people, people in need, he most often said to them, what do you want me to do for you? What do you want me to do for you? That's the question he has for us. Be specific. What do you want the Lord to do for you? And ask him specifically. Let me give you two examples of that. One for memory. I went looking for it and couldn't find it, so it's only for memory. The pastor of the biggest church in the world is a man by the name of David Yongi Cho. Still alive. Church of over a million people in Korea, South Korea who way back in the 1950s, from memory, was just beginning as a pastor. And he prayed. And it was a devastated country because it was just after the Korean War. And he had nothing. And he asked the Lord, he said, Lord, can you give me a desk, a chair and a bike? And he writes in the book that I read many, many years ago, that days passed. I'm not sure what time it was. A period of time passed and he became despondent that God hadn't provided or answered his prayer. And he went back to the Lord in prayer and he said, Lord, why haven't I got my desk, my chair and my bike? And he felt the Lord say to him, what sort of a desk do you want? What sort of a chair do you want? What sort of bike do you want? So he told him, I'd like one of those desks which is really big so that I can spread my books out on it and I can study hard. I'd like one of those chairs like I've seen in other places where it's a swivel chair and I want a bike that's a blue bike and it's this whatever it was, certain details about the bike and within a very short period of time he got the desk, he got the chair and he got the bike. And David Yongi Cho learned a lesson that when you pray, you should pray things are slowly sinking up there. You should pray specifically. Hmm. And he leads the biggest church in the world today and they are renowned for being a praying church. They have a mountain. They spend hours every day. He spends three hours a day praying every day. David Yongi Cho. Or there is this remarkable example. I mean, these are extreme. I guess in some ways but they certainly stay still, illustrate the point That's the fourth time today. Three microphones this morning and tonight. And every time you've been present to save the situation. Kenneth Ware and his French wife were forced to leave France to relocate in Switzerland because of their wartime activities and hiding Jews from the Nazis. On one occasion there was no food in the house and there was no money to purchase any provisions. So Mrs Ware prayed this in utter simplicity. Speaking generally, this would be true of my wife and I'm probably true of your wife. Our wives are very practical. They're very specific and they're very down to earth. 
sheep parade, cheeses. I need five pounds of potatoes, two pounds of pastry flour. I need some apples, pears, a cauliflower, carrots, veal cutlets for Saturday and beef for Sunday. She even told God the brand of flour that she preferred. After listing her request, she said, Thank you, Lord Jesus. At 11.30am that same morning, a radiant-faced, blue-eyed, blonde man appeared wearing the customary long blue uniform of the delivery people of that part of the world. He called at the door and he said in perfect French with any Swiss accent, Mrs. Ware, I am bringing you what you asked for. Both Mr. and Mrs. Ware protested that there had been some mistake. The delivery person simply said, I am bringing you what you asked for. And then he emptied the grocery basket, placing it on the table, the exact items, nothing more or less than what she had talked to God about, right down to the exact brand of flour. Well, Mr. Ware completes the story. He says this, There was only one way for that delivery man to pass, and that was before the window where I was standing. But though I watched and Mrs. Ware opened the door again to examine the the hallway, uh, the person was gone. There was no trace of the delivery man anywhere. How should we pray? Specifically. That's what Jesus says to us. Find a secret place. Be Be sincere and be specific. That's what the Master says to us. Let's pray together. Thank you, Lord Jesus, for your teaching out of this passage. You are the master teacher and you make it sound clear and simple. Help us, Lord, to follow your instructions, your advice. Help us to find our secret place where we can go to commune with you without distraction, which become a special place for us. Help us, Lord, on the journey of being sincere, thinking about carefully, and being aware and sharing with you vulnerably what's deep inside of us. And Lord, increasingly help us to be not selfish, but to be specific, because you are a great God. Nothing for you is impossible. May your will be done in our lives. May your name be exalted. May your kingdom advance, we ask in Jesus' name. Everybody said, Amen.